Could you imagine if we had just half the amount of enthusiasm as those kids? I think part of the gig was they actually heard, A, I was speaking, so they were like, let's get out of here as fast as we can. But uh, it's wonderful be, to be with you this morning. Um, during the week, I got to uh, come along to Primary Chapel uh, on Thursday, and I want to tell you, did they know how to love on their chaplains here at the school? So when they introduced us, uh, we sort of said hello. They just want to, especially the preppies, uh, it was so funny watching the poor preppy teachers try and control them on week one. Uh, because I'm not sure what the parents feed them before they come to school. But those kids were so excited and every little aspect that happens around school is new for them. And uh, today, I know how the preppies feel because everything about the Refresh Community Church is new to me. And uh, while Cara and I came up last week, as we were getting closer to church, Cara, she's a nervous one. Uh, I just like people, so it doesn't matter if they're new, old friends, just want to just meet, say good day. I could see Cara starting to get nervous about the experience. Here we go again. Uh, I'm not sure if, uh, I hope none of you felt that. Oh, thank you, Lauren. <laughs> a bit of love for Cara, that's beautiful. Uh, She's the opposite of me. Cara is very happy to speak to you one-on-one and for a period of time. Uh, she will get to know you way quicker than I do. And, uh, but uh, look, that's us. I'm also excited because in three weeks and about two days' time, we actually shift from the Gold Coast. When uh, you're travelling to church an hour and a half, uh, it's, it's okay for the first once or twice. But uh, there was one day a week ago, we actually came up twice in a day. And uh, I thought to myself, that's crazy, six hours of driving in one day. Um, So we're totally looking forward to moving into our new community uh, in three weeks' time. And I'm excited because it's a suburb Cara didn't really want to live in. She wanted to live at Margate. But I wanted to live in a place that reminded me of Kurumbong, Burpin Gary. I am totally excited about the whole Burfingar experience. Uh, I used to live in Mango Hill a long time ago, but now I'm going to live in my favourite suburb, Burpa. Just can't wait to move in. And I know some of you are Burfingarites. Put your hands up. Don't, don't be ashamed. Feel the pride. All six of us. 2004 and 2005 were critical years, not only in my ministry, but in my life. Because in 2004 and 2005, some of you were in diapers probably, but in 2004 and 2005, I was actually living in Mango Hill, not too far from where Murray Hunter had his house, uh, working in the youth department with Muzzer, that was an experience, and uh, trying to keep up with him, that was another experience. But in 2004 and 2005, I had probably the first time in my life an identity crisis, an identity crisis in the, in the way that I actually lived my life and the way that I thought. You know, most people have identity crisis when they're teenagers. I didn't. As long as I was fed and I could play cricket, my identity was good. But by the time uh, 2004 and 2005 rolled along, I'd been in my fourth year of youth directing here in South Queensland and uh, really enjoyed it. It was my dream job, not only to be in Queensland, but to be working with young people full time. Just an awesome thing. But in 2004, in the middle of the year, my life was rocked because 
and, and I do not put the blame on my ex-wife. I actually say, hey, dualistically, we went into a relationship and both of us, for whatever reason, were struggling in our relationship to each other. In 2004, it became too much for Carmel. And Carmel just said, look, I, I, it's too hard. And our relationship blew apart. And it was just horrible. Um, horrible for her, horrible for me. And horrible for the fact that poor little Jai, our, uh, our youngest fella, he, he was only about six months old. And I share that with you because for me, that's part of my life journey. You know, I don't come here as some purist pastor who's uh, lived a holy life because I definitely haven't. Uh, if, if you want to check, just ask Rick and he'll let you know. Uh, but the reality is, I don't. I, I struggle with lots of things in life and I struggle with letting go and I struggle failing. And in 2004 and five, I felt like I'd failed. I'd failed my son. I'd failed Carmel. I'd failed in so many aspects. And by the end of 2004, uh, I was lucky enough that a pastor on the south side of Brisbane said, Sean, I can see you struggling, but I don't want you to jump out of ministry. Come to Springwood. So Andre Van Rensburg, top guy, he, 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 he gave me a lifeline. And 2005, I'm not exactly sure how useful I was as a pastor, to be honest. Uh, for those of you who know Fraser Catton, Fraser was an amazing person in that period. We would spend, on average... Now, hopefully this is not always where your pastor's tithe dollar goes. But on average, we would spend about two hours a day playing tennis. Fast Sabbath. We'd play Saturday night. Uh, and we'd, we'd spend about two hours. The good thing was it was between six and eight o'clock in the morning. I'm not sure how his parents' neighbours felt about us, but we played for two hours every morning. And Fraser just was there and he did life with me through the toughest of times. And, uh, and I think to myself back now, I'm so glad that God brings people like Fraser into your life. During that period of time, at, by the middle of 2005, I said to myself, you know what, I don't actually like people at the moment. I'm not exactly sure if I like myself, but I don't enjoy working with people. So I went into the conference office, said to the guys, I need a break. They said, there's two ways you can do it. You can resign or you can go and study. And I thought, what am I going to do with a theology degree? Uh, what sort of career path will I have with that bad boy? Um, there's not too many people who want to learn Greek. Um, there's not a lot of preaching going on in the, in the community. So I decided to go to QC and did a master's in marketing and advertising. During that period of rebuilding, reshaping and reforming my identity, that was actually part of it. You know, each of us can, when we go through different identity crises, there are different aspects, different people that come, different circumstances, different experiences that actually shape who we are. And for me, university actually helped in that process. I still think the QUT is the best uni in Brisbane, uh, but apparently the really bright ones at the University of Queensland some dumb anyway. So. But the constants that I had in my life were these. A, my mum and dad. B, my best mate. C, my local church at Springwood at the time. This is a real weird one because as I was reflecting, there was a lady at Central Church in Brisbane who would ring me up every month. She was the head elder of that church. I'd met her like twice 
I did have the privilege as a youth director to baptize her grandson, but she would ring every month to check in on me. And, and I actually look back at it now, she was a key in my, in my reclaiming my identity. And the last bit is the most important, and that's what I want to preach about today, is God the Father. There are times in our lives where we need Jesus Christ, the Savior, the hope giver, to be the number one aspect in our life. There's other times where you need to be empowered, enriched, and ready to go, and you need the Holy Spirit to come in, anoint you so that you can go and be who God wants you to be. But there's other times in life we actually need someone who's stable, and that's God the Father. Today, as our first part of our series this year on Who Am I?, uh, Lauren has given me the privilege to actually preach about God the Father. But before we open the Word, let's pray together. Dear Lord in heaven, I want to thank you for who you are. And each of us comes to church today with different things happening in our lives. And I pray that right now we can stop and just spend a moment of time with you as we open your Word. Amen. There are three aspects of God the Father that I want to share with you. But I want to tell you that if, if we had time and we got into little tables and groups, you could come up with hundreds and hundreds of more points. Hundreds and hundreds. I just want to share three. Because our God is so big, so great, so mighty, so almighty. He's the creator of the universe. There's just too much to say about him. Uh, I'm just going to go with three. The first one is God is a good father. And the word perfect, we struggle with because as good as we are, none of us can ever achieve perfection. Not on our own, not in this lifetime. But there is one, and that is God the Father. You know, I had a dad. His life was taken way too short. He was 58 when he passed away. But he was a good guy because he was faithful to one wife. He had an incredible work ethic. He was very practical, which I'm not. Uh, I missed that one. But when cancer got a hold of him and took his life, I was never, ever going to allow the legacy of my dad to be formed on the last 12 months of his life. In the last 12 months of his life, I want to tell you, he was stoic. I want to tell you that he was courageous. I want to tell you he put up with pain that was beyond pain, but he just put up with it. But that was just the horrible part of cancer. But my dad taught me so much about life. I loved my dad for the man that he was. He wasn't perfect. Nope. He had a funny sense of humor. He wasn't a bad dad. Not at all. He did his best and he taught me so much about life and what it actually meant to be a dad. But I want to share something with you in life he doesn't even compare to the Father God that is referred to in the Scriptures. He doesn't even compare. Let me explain. While my dad was a good father, our Father in heaven is a perfect Father. You see, there's a big difference between earthly fathers and our divine Father, God the Father. Let me just turn with you to Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 10. They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share 
in His holiness. What they're talking about, they disciplined as actually fathers, earthly fathers. There were times in my life where mum would use the dreaded words, wait till your father gets home. Does some of you know what I'm talking about? You young people down, down the front, you wouldn't know what that means, would you? No, you wait till your father gets home. It, it meant something quite unique to me. It usually meant that mum's little slap on my backside wasn't strong enough. It needed something more. It, it needed my dad's discipline. And there were times where I tried to run away from home because I didn't want that smack. There were other times I would go out and swim in the lake and try and come back an hour after dark. It's a bit scary now that you think of late the quarry's got sharks in them, but at the time I didn't think about it. But the reality is, our fathers discipline us, but the scripture, well, the scripture tells us that they earthly fathers discipline us for a short time as it seemed best for them. But God disciplines us for good. He disciplines us for good, and he also disciplines us for holiness. The reality for human dads is that we're all painfully sinful. I want to just stop there for a minute because I know that there are some of you who've probably had dads who have not been good dads. But whatever level that dad is at, the reality is in Scripture is that we as dads are sinful. We have fallen short as dads. But there is one dad. There is one father who can actually who can actually be our stability in life. This makes all dad's conditions the same. We're sinful. As a new dad, I can remember the joy of seeing my son born. It was really cool, amazing, um, mind-blowing. But I can also remember the day clearly, the first time I ever hurt my son. Jai would have been less than 12 months old, and some kids learn to crawl quick, some kids even stand up and walk quite quick. Jai was as lazy as they come. Uh, honestly, he didn't even use his knees. He would actually lay there and just do a camo crawl around the house. He did that for nearly 14 months. Um, funny kid. Anyway, but one day he followed me, not into the toilet area, but into where you have your shower and your bathtub. And... Uh, I'm not exactly the most delicate of human beings ever. And uh, when I shut things, I tend to sh shut them. And uh, didn't realize Jai's little fingers, I'm talking under 12 years old, his little fingers hang onto the door, and I just shut it on his finger. And I heard a cry that I'll never forget. And I opened the door so quick. And as I opened the door and I found Jai there crying, I picked him up and just held him and held him, and I went and got something cold for his fingers. And, and little Jai, he, no hair on his head until he was about one and a half, and he just looked at me and he just cried and he cried and he cried. And as a dad, there is nothing worse. I'm sure as a mum too, there's just nothing worse than hurting your own child. So I opened that door, and I thought to myself, I'm definitely not in best dad of the year territory right now. I know there are plenty of dads who are not a good example of fatherhood at all. The thing to take heart that God has none of the sins of your father. 
I just want to repeat that because I think it's really important for us to know as human beings that our God, the Father, has none of the sin of the men like me and the other dads that are here. They have none of, God, the Father, has none of those. God has none of the limitations of your father. God has none of the weaknesses of your father. God has none of the hang-ups of your father. Jesus knew his father so well. The Bible tells us not only was he with him for eternity, but when he was on this earth, he made the time every day to communicate with his father before he did anything in life. The Bible tells us in Matthew 7 and verse 11, if you then know if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Jesus is making the point that even as ungodly men and women, they want what's best for their children, mostly, most of the time. Not always, but most of the time. Jesus is making the point also And he's stating that you and I have a heavenly father who knows exactly what we need. He knows exactly what we need and he's totally sold out on you. And he's totally sold out on me. Because I want to tell you that we don't just serve a good God, we serve a great God who is an excellent and magnificent, a good father. A good father. The second point that I want to share with you is this, that our God is not changing. We live in a world that changes so rapidly. Some of you guys here, how many of you, just out of curiosity, are early adapters? You're the sort of people that when they bring out new phones, new computers, new technology, perhaps new games, you're like, boom, one of the first people to buy it. Society tells us there's about 10% of you, so if you don't put your hand up, (laughs) there's only 10%. Oh, yeah, we've got one. You got any others? How many of you had heaps of money you'd like to be an early adapter? Yeah, okay, we've got at least two of us, except I'm not an early adapter. In fact, I'm not even a moderate adapter. I'm a late adapter. And I know this because my family tells me so. (laughs) You know what, there used to be a telephone called the iPhone 3. You don't know what that is. Or perhaps your parents gave it to you and you're like, what is this stupid thing? But the iPhone 3 was definitely not an old Nokia. Uh, It was still a modern phone, the iPhone 3. And I got one. And you know what? It did three things that I liked. You know what those three things were? I could talk on it. I could actually, um, I wrote them down. I'm that much of a late adapter. I could text and I could answer it. That's all I needed. So for me, it was all about this or that, and I want to tell you, even as a texter, I was a late adapter. Um, In our family, uh, I would spend more time the ringing part than I ever would texting or that other stuff you young people do. But my iPhone 3, I looked after it carefully. I had it in a gel case because I fiddle with them a bit and drop them occasionally. And the iPhone 3, what a magnificent piece of technology. It just kept going and going and going until the man at the store actually said, I'm really sorry, Sean, it will go no longer. But I said, I can still ring and text and talk. What's wrong with it? And they said, we can't keep updating the software for that piece of stuff. And I had to get rid of it and buy like an iPhone 6, which I still have. 
It's a bit too old and it won't work. But I want to tell you that there is something really cool about a God who doesn't change. For we really, really slow late adapters, we like these. And it's found in James chapter 1 and verse 17. The Bible tells us every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. What that verse says is that our God, while things change in this earth, and God has created us so creatively that he's, he's excellent with change. There's no problem with change. There's no problem with technology, except for some of the late adapters like me. But there's no problem with any of those things. But the great thing about our God is he doesn't change. From the foundations of this earth, when he created us from the light out of heaven, our God does not change. The second verse now, I probably don't need to use it, but I like it. Psalms 102, verses 25 to 27. Of, of old, you told the foundation of the earth and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like an old garment. You will change them like a robe and they will pass away. But you are the same and your years have no end. Our God is unchanging. There is no season that our God doesn't go through with us, but he's not old hat, he's not irrelevant, he's just as relevant today as he ever was. But we're talking about a God who's been here for eternity, a God that will be here for eternity into the future, and a God who is totally, totally interested in you. And he's totally interested in even a late adapter like myself. God the Father is the stability that humans so crave for in a world that changes at an alarming rate. When I was in college, one of my favorite subjects was psychology. Weird, I know. But I did enjoy it. And there was a magazine that I used to read a bit at college, and it was called Psychology Today. And there's a, there's a doctor by the name of Larry Rosen who, who shared an article in 2017. So it's probably old hat, but it still is relevant. And it talks about what is happening to the young people and our society in general since the invention of smartphones, the iPhone. When I was chaplaining at the Gold Coast in the last two years at our school down there, as a pastor, I didn't recognise or I wasn't aware of one of the biggest issues sweeping through the young people in our schools. No one had really talked to me about it. I was good mates with the principal down there but I didn't, didn't really understand it until I walked, worked at a school. And the issue is anxiety. Depression used to be the number one thing that our young people and our families suffered in our society, mental health issues. Today, it's been overtaken by anxiety. There's actually scientific proof that it has actually spiked in the year the iPhone was distributed around the world, when social media became not just a, well, it is a good thing, but it became the norm, it became the thing that people rely upon. The anxiety levels spiked. On average, at university right now, this is just the average, some people are below and some people are above, but on average, people will spend 220 minutes a day on social media, 220 minutes a day. That equates to three hours and 40 minutes of your day, every day. 
sounds alarming. At our church last year when we were on the Gold Coast, Karen Collum got up the front and she pulled out her phone. And if you, if you jump on there and you have a look, you can actually find out how much time you spend each day on your phone and on your social networks. And it's a scary thing to look at. Um, being a late adapter, um, mine wasn't so great in that area. Uh, I didn't achieve 220 minutes a day. I'm an under, oh, three, I was a real underachiever. But for others, it's much higher than three hours and 40 minutes a day. Scientists have discovered that the mobile devices that we use today cause broken sleep. They also are spiking fear of missing out or FOMO, decreased ability to problem solve, decreased performance, and the worst bit about the whole thing is increased anxiety. Increased anxiety. In our world, life has ramped up and changing so fast. I want to say that it is encouraging. I want to tell you that young people, that mums and dads or grandparents here today, we need to know this. Our God is not changing. He's everlasting. The good thing about not changing is that there's actually a spot you can stop and always reach out to God. He's not going to be hidden behind this or that. He's there waiting for you. I want to tell you, these are some of the things that I love about our God the Father. He never changes his mind and he loves us no matter what. His plans for saving mankind are still intact. He is always present. He says he is who he says he is. His plan for the restoration of mankind is almost complete. Our God, the Father, created us. We sin. God has the best plan put in motion for you and I. The Messiah came and died, Jesus Christ. God resurrected his son to life. Hope is restored. God has given us direct access to him. We are forgiven. God is unchanging. Thank God for stability. The two points that I wanted to bring up today is, A, God is a good friend. A perfect example of a father. And secondly, God is not changing. He is in the business of creating spots of stability for you and me. But to bring it home, God is in the business of recreating. Jeremiah 32 and verse 17 Ah, you don't really expect the word ah to be in the Bible, but I quite like it. Ah, Lord God, it is you who have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. I want you to repeat that last line for me. One, two, three. Nothing is too hard for you. This is a really important thing to take home with you. The God that we serve, no matter where we've been, where we're at, whatever's going in our lives, if you're feeling anxious, or depressed, nothing is too hard for our God. Nothing is too hard for him. Genesis chapter 1 gives us a reader a clear indication of our God. I love the fact that as God gets in the business of creating the heavens and earth, Genesis 1, each day he stops to reflect on his handwork. Good thing for each one of us to do. We may not be finished the goal, we may not be finished the assignment, we may not be finished the project, but at the end of each day, we need to be able to stop and go, it's been a good day's work. 
I've done my best, and then we leave it at that. And God did the same. He actually stopped and reflected each day on what he had created. And the Bible uses the word, he looked and it was good. What was the word he used? It was, it was good, all four of us. But when he creates human beings, the Bible stops and the writer explains what God's reaction to human beings. There's something different about you and me compared to a tree or a whale. Well, there's a lot of things that are different. But the reality is, God wants to have a relationship with human beings. God may love and care for the animals and the trees and everything about our creation, but God is not in a relationship with a tree or an ocean. God is in a relationship with a human being. So when he creates human beings, the Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 1 that God stops and he looks and he assesses and he says, that is very good. It's really important not to miss that point because the scriptures aren't talking about, uh, you know, waterfalls and everything are good to look at, but human beings are very good. God is in a relationship with a human being and he sees us as being more, way more valuable, way more valuable. There were two gifts that God gave us at creation. The first one was he gave us the joy of the Sabbath. Now, for those of you who might be new to coming to a Seventh-day Adventist church, blah, 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 you think, what's the whole thing of the Sabbath? I want to tell you that the Sabbath can be wrapped up in three little sentences for me. God has given us a 24-hour period to rest. God wants us to get together and worship. And he wants us to spend, not the whole time, but a part of that time to come as community. And spend time, not just listening to the preacher wobble on, but to come and spend time together. Our relationship needs rest. Pastor Rick could testify that running three weeks of summer camp in a row, his family didn't get a lot of rest. Um, and it's tough. And a lot of you guys, I saw heaps of you out at summer camp. You know what it's like if you do a double up camp? You sort of feel like when there was just no rest day and your body starts to suffer, God created us to rest. And he created us to admire him and he created us to have a holiday with God. Let me give you a little secret. The devil doesn't want you to take a day off with him. He doesn't want you to take the time out with God. He doesn't want you to do that. That's why the devil's in the business of breaking the Sabbath down. It's not a hard thing to follow. It's not a doctrine that you have to teach. It's something you want to do because it's, it's part of the relationship we have with God. The second gift that he gave us is marriage. You know, when God took the rib out of Adam's side and created a woman, for Adam, there was nothing better, there was nothing finer, there was nothing more beautiful than the wife God gave him. I want to also say the devil is in the business of breaking that gift down as well. God the Father knows that we need companionship, not just mateship, but companionship. And marriage is the perfect way to be in companionship. The devil will try and break that down by the fact of saying, hey, it's okay to have premarital sex. Hey, it's okay. What are you going to hurt as long as you have 
uh, you know, you won't catch anything. You, you know, if, if you've got the right sort of, um, you know, the right sort of stuff, you won't have a baby. But emotionally and physically, that stuff breaks down the opportunity for you to accept the gift that God has given you. I'm not saying God can't forgive you, because I want to say our God is the most forgiving of gods. But he wants you to be in a relationship with him that allows you to love another human being, one day be married to them, because that's how God has designed us. He's designed us, and the devil's in the other business of trying to break that stuff down. Our relationship with God and our fellow believers is critical to a healthy life. I just want to repeat that. Our relationship with our God and our fellow believers is critical to a healthy life. Satan has come to trick and destroy and take away. And for anyone who believes that's the normal, it's rubbish. That's why God sent his son, because the Bible tells us that in Romans chapter 6 and verse 23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift, you get that word? The gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. God wants to restore broken relationships. He wants to use that word recreate because he wants to actually say, hey, I know your lives aren't going to be perfect. I know that each one of us is going to face the consequences of sin and pain. But God wants to come in and recreate something new and something powerful in each one of our lives. I love that aspect of God because when we truly understand that, when we actually take that in here, we actually can know that our God is not there pointing the finger at us. Our God has got his hands outstretched like this, just wanting to embrace and to care for each one of us. That is the type of God that we serve. It's not about death. The gift is eternal life through Jesus Christ. That is a recreation. That is a hope that this world cannot offer you. And it is a hope that each of us as Christians need to hang on to and not forget. The last passage I wanted to share this morning is found in Ephesians chapter 4 and verses 26 and 27. God wants to restore broken relationships. The Bible tells us, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. This passage instructs us to attack the problem. And this is the bit we can't forget. Some people just want to go with cheap grace, once saved, always saved. That's, I don't find that in the scriptures. But what God is actually saying is if there are aspects in your life that you need to attack, he will come and support you, but attack them. Get them out of your life. The passage instructs us to attack the problem, but not the person. This is what God does for us. He hates sin, but he loves the sinner. That's what Jesus said, why he came. He came because he loved the sinner. In 2000, 2004, I was at the end of my wits, and God knew that I needed a break and a change. You know, I retrained. 
at QT and started a career in marketing and advertising. Towards the end of the three years on this journey, God, who is a good father, who never changes, creates stability, is in the business of recreating, reforming, so that we, we can just plow into life with a different attitude. Plays the primary call over my life again. He grabbed me where I was at, and he thrust me back where he needed me to be. No more marketing products. It was time to get back to my core calling of ministering. This wasn't a Sean thing, because to be honest, you can talk to Cara sometime. It was the last place I wanted to come back to. But it was a God thing. Today, I can say so clearly that God gives us our true identity and our true self. God is just as relevant today as he is at any other point in the world's history. Today, I want to point you to God the Father. Our God is an amazing Father, the perfect Father, who never changes, and he's in the business of recreating our lives. That is the message I want to share with you today. Let's pray. God, I want to thank you for who you are. We could spend hours and hours and days and days discussing lots of different aspects of who you are. And we've only looked at just a gift of just a tiny little, just a tiny little portion of who you are. And, and I want to say, I want to thank you for being the God that you are. I want to thank you that you're an example of a perfect father. I want to thank you that you are stable and not changing. And I also want to thank you for the fact that you want to come in and recreate newness into our lives. That is amazing aspects of your character. And as we contemplate this year about identity, I pray that our identity is formed in you. Thank you.